Welcome to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. Hook, Line, and Splitter is presented by NJR Home Services. And now, here's your host, Greg Giambarisi. Welcome in, everybody. Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast presented by NJR Home Services, bringing you simple solar savings so you can enjoy the sunshine at home and at the ballpark. I'm Greg Jambarisi. Thanks for tuning in today. Hook, line, and splitter. This is episode 20. We'll be joined by Blue Claws closer Blake Brown. He's got seven saves. We'll talk to Blake about playing at UNC Asheville. He grew up in a small town in Dallas, North Carolina. He called it a a four-stop-like town, Dallas, North Carolina. Went to UNC Asheville, signed with the Phillies as an undrafted free agent after the 2020 draft. Remember, that was only a five-round draft. So talked to a bunch of teams, ended up settling uh, in with the Phillies. He's pitched very well, especially over the last few months. Since the beginning of June, his ERA is just 257. He's got 38 strikeouts, 28 innings since then. He leads the Blue Claws right now with seven saves. He'll be our guest in a little bit. We'll hear from Blake Brown. Before we do that, though, I want to let you know that we hope you can like, rate, and review, and subscribe to this podcast, Hook, Line, and Splitter, presented by NJR Home Services. You can do so on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next up, the Blue Claws will be back home. They're on the road this week. Just took five out of six from Wilmington, a series that ended on Sunday. We're recording this part on Monday morning. We talked to Blake on Friday. But Blue Claws took five out of six in that series from Wilmington, including a few comeback wins, overcame a four-run deficit on Thursday. And then on Friday, they overcame an eight-run deficit. Herbert Iser tied the game with a two-run single with two strikes in the bottom are the uh, top of the ninth inning to tie the game at nine. Blue Claws were down eight nothing after allowing eight runs in the second inning of that game, and uh, ended up winning the game in ten innings by a score of ten to nine. It was the largest Blue Claws comeback win in the last ten years. So uh, playing well, and they'll go to Aberdeen this week. They'll play seven games there. They'll finish a game suspended here on August eighth. Do that on Tuesday, and then play six other games Tuesday through Sunday here at first. Energy Park, at a, sorry, down at Alados Field in Aberdeen Ripken Stadium against the Ironbirds. Back here Tuesday the 7th, a week from tomorrow, for the final six home games of 2021. Hard to believe, but only six more home games in 2021. Four fireworks shows, Tuesday the 7th, Thursday the 9th, Friday the 10th, and then Saturday the 11th will be a special show in which we will honor the victims of the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York City and around the country, there were well over 150 uh, Jersey Shore residents that, that passed away that day. If you go to BlueClons.com, you'll see a link there, and we'll have uh, you'll see a lot of the information about the game on September 11th, in which we honor the victims of those attacks 20 years ago. So that'll be next week. It's Local Summer, presented by Rothman Orthopedic Institute. So they're the official team doctors of the Blue Claws. The other thing with uh, with that local summer three-game mini plan available, if you book it by September 6th, you'll get tickets to the game September 9, 10, and 11 for just $39. And if you book before the 6th, which is Labor Day, you'll get the other three games, September 7, 8, and 12, for free. A total of six games for just $39. That's the local summer mini plan available now at BlueClaws.com. So just six games left for Jersey Shore This year, we'll hear from Blake Brown in a moment. Rich Green Lawns is the leading lawn fertilization company in the Jersey Shore. 
We provide lawn, non-turf, tick, mosquito, and tree and shrub programs. Now is the time to think about core aerating and seeding. Call today, 732-370-5963. The Blue Claws closer is Blake Brown. Let's hear from Blake next. This is Hook, Line, and Splitter, Episode 20. Presented by NJR Home Services, Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. Our guest, Blue Claws closer, Blake Brown, seven saves as we record this on Friday the 27th. Lead the team. Blake, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I appreciate you having me on here. Absolutely. So uh, you get primarily to pitch the ninth inning. How do you like, uh, how do you like closing? Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of closing. I mean, you get, you get eight innings to kind of hype yourself up knowing, you know, all right, I got a chance to really go in and give us a chance to win and finish out this ball game. So I'm, it, it, it really gets my adrenaline going. Uh, and that's one of the things I really love, um, about it. It's just, I don't know, just shutting the door. Yeah. Uh, overall, how is, uh, how do you think your year's gone? I think, uh, I think, I think I've had a pretty good year. Um, I've had a, a pretty big issue with walks all year, but aside from that, um, everything else for my first professional year, I think I've done just about everything I can to, to start my career off well. So, you know, it was kind of a unique entry into professional baseball for you with, uh, you know, with COVID and everything. And you know, how much were you able to do last year after you had signed? What was the first kind of organized Phillies activity that you had? Uh, I wasn't able to do anything with the Phillies until instruct instructs in October. So from, from signing and, late June to October, there was nothing that I actually was able to do with the Phillies. It was all on my own at home, um, wherever I could. And, you know, you were part of a group of, uh, of NDFAs that the, the Phillies had signed last year. Now it was kind of a, obviously a much different scenario because it was a five round draft. You would have gotten drafted if they hadn't cut the draft, they cut the draft. So you're in a spot after the draft is over where you kind of get to pick your team and you get to do the recruiting in a way instead of being the one who's recruited as you were when you came out of high school. So after the draft ends, what is that period like? Um, or I should say the teams are recruiting you instead of just drafting you. So after the draft is over, what is that period like? And, you know, as you're talking to different clubs that had reached out and you're kind of picking your spot instead of, you know, somebody selects you and off you go. It was, it was pretty overwhelming uh, at first. Um, as, as you know, free agency didn't start until 9 a.m. on Monday, which was two days after the draft. So you're, you're sitting there for Saturday and Sunday, and it's like it's pretty nerve-wracking. Like, you know, okay, I didn't get drafted. You know, how many phone calls am I going to have? Like, am I how many choices am I going to have? And then 9 a.m. rolls around, and then your phone starts blowing up, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Like I've, this is going to be a pretty busy week. Um, and I mean, it was a pretty, it was interesting. It was a fun process being able to talk to all of the major league teams, being able to kind of fill them out, figure out, you know, where I thought I would fit in best. And that's, that's one of the main reasons I chose the Phillies uh, as the team I wanted to sign with was, you know, I, I felt like the organization was going in the right direction. It, our, my views and their views lined up. I just, I felt like I could really, really sprout into a, a, just a great baseball player here. And so I, I decided to go with the Phillies. So I, when Noah Skiro was here, I talked to him and he was kind of in a similar scenario. 
uh, situation to you. And, you know, he had said he kind of wanted to find a spot that would a let him start and B uh, kind of had merged some of the old school training techniques with a lot of the newer technological things. What was the attraction to the Phillies for you? And what were you looking for in a team as you sat down to pick? So for me, I, I was looking for a team that was that was moving towards that new school mindset. Um, I'm a very new school baseball guy. I, I don't discredit any type of old school thinking because I think there's definitely value there. Obviously, there was a, there was somehow they made baseball players really good years and years and years ago. And that's been, you know, old old baseball thinking has been around a lot longer than new baseball thinking has. So you can't you can't discredit it for what it is. Um, but for what? Yeah, what I was looking for was a, a new school thinking team with just an opportunity for me to move quickly if I pitch well in an organization. And I think the Phillies were there in, in rebuild mode as of now. And this year they're, they're finally starting to see that pay off with being in the, in the running for the wild card race. Um, and I, I wanted to be a part of a team that if I pitched well, I'd move quick and I was able to actually impact the organization in a good way. Who was the first Phillies person to call? So I got a call from my area scout at yeah, it was at 9 a.m., but I don't remember if I answered his call first or what. But Kellen McKeon is his name. He was the, the first Phillies guy that I talked to uh, during free agency. And then at what point, how many days, weeks, whatever did it take for you to decide on the Phillies? I decided on the Phillies that Friday. So it took me about four or five days to really – hone my choices in um, and the Philly, it came down to the Phillies and two other teams. And I decided the Phillies are just the way to go is the best choice for me. And me and my family talked about it as well. And me and my agent had a conversation and we all just kind of decided like, all right, you know, I mean, if that's, if that's where you feel comfortable with and let's do it. And you know, I gave, I gave my area, just got a call that day. I was like, Hey, I want to be a Philly. And here we are. Awesome. So Talk about some of the, the new school stuff. I know Matt Hockenberry, your pitching coach, has embraced that substantially over the last couple of years or the two or three years that he's been a pitching coach now. But, uh, you know, he, he's all in. And what kinds of things do you work on with him, with Matt between outings and or even just in your bullpen sessions? And what kinds of things do you look for to embrace the, you know, and how do you utilize that technology to help you improve? Uh, so the biggest use I get out of it is, is more for pitch design and just maintaining pitch shape. So obviously you've got sliders, you've got curveballs, you've got fastballs, changeups, and they're all supposed to do something different. But if you have no way of knowing what they're actually doing by reading it, then it's like, it's all based on the eye test and the eye, you know, eyes can be very deceiving at times. So that's, that's my main use when it comes to the technology we have at Jersey Shore uh, is just making sure that the slider's sliding and the curveball's curving. That's, that's, that's my main use whenever me and Hog get on the mound and, and go over some stuff. Because aside from that, like, generally speaking, when I get on the mound with him, it's just, hey, let's just try to throw more strikes than we did last time. Let's just try to throw more strikes than we did last time. And I, that seems to have been working in the last, last month or two. So, um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say that's my main focus whenever I work around, whenever me and Matt and me and Hawk, I don't want to call him Matt. Me and Hawk yeah. get on the <laughs> So let's say you have an outing, right? And can you tell on the mound that your slider, just to use as an example, might not be or might be doing what you want, and then you just look for confirmation from the 
you know the out the tech not the computer output yeah i mean in a way uh, you you always you always have a hitter in the box and if you're throwing a slider and and it's landing in the in the other batter's box and they're swinging out of their shoes for it and falling over like there there's there's some confirmation there that's like okay i've got that pitch today but at the same time you know sometimes hitters are just just swing um, like my in my outing against Asheville uh, last week when we were at home, I threw a lot of fastballs up. I mean, they were competitive up pitches, but as a hitter and you step in the box, you're thinking, OK, this guy has had control issues this year. So why am I swinging at everything I see? But, you know, I mean, I, and then they were swinging. They swung at the first batter that I struck out. He swung at a slider that was up that might have landed for a strike had he not swung at it. But it's one of those pitches where I'm like, wow, like that wasn't even that great of a pitch. And I can tell it wasn't that great of a pitch, um, but they're still swinging at it. So I'm still going to throw it kind of thing. So, sure. I, I mean, I, I appreciate the, the confirmation from the track man and from the Hawkeye that we get post game or a few days later. Um, but it's not, it's not necessarily something that I need. I would, I would say I, I like, I like making sure my, fastball is within a certain velo range and my off speed is within a certain velo range. But I mean, if I'm getting guys out, I'm getting guys out and that's really what it comes down to. When you talk about shaping the pitch, um, how do you, what adjustments are you looking to make, you know, between outings or, or talk about the exact, the process there when you try to shape a pitch, spin movement, et cetera. Um, between outings, I usually try not to put too much thought in it. I mean, if it's if it's off a little bit one day, I I'll try to get I'll try to get more yeah. horizontal on the slide. It might just it's, be a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I try not to put too much thought in it, but if it's a couple outings in a row, then maybe I need to need to figure something out. But um, th- going through that, like usually with so we'll use a slider as an example. Um, I throw a slider that's that's considered seam shifted. So the balls, the ball flight changes mid midway to the plate so on our rapsodo that we have in the bullpen it reads um a certain spin axis with a certain uh vertical and horizontal break and my goal whenever i look at that is okay i know what the spin axis needs to be on rapsodo for it to be what i want it on trackman and in the game so that's my main target whenever i go to pitch design with the sliders just let's hit that spin axis because i know the ball flight is going to do what i need it to do if as long as it's there and then the curveball is kind of is a similar situation where it's let's just get it as much up and down as close to six o'clock axis as I can. And in the game, it's going to be fine. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not too, I don't put too much, too much thought into it. It's actually not as, as complicated as a lot of people seem to make it, but you know, it, it it's also not easy. <laughs> no. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously this is, this is not something that you just learned here. So you obviously been exposed to it. Uh, some of this stuff before you, you got here at, at UNC Asheville. So what kind of um, technology, uh, you know, analytical um, information did you guys have access to and did you use it? How did you get into this stuff when you were in college? So I, I did not have access to any of this kind of stuff until my junior year in college. My so- my freshman and sophomore year was prior to the big big technological technological new age that baseball is now um and my junior year we got a rapsodo in um for pitching and for hitting so we got both both of the units in and prior to that my sophomore summer and the winter of my 
junior year. So we got through episode of junior season. And the summer before that and the winter before that, me and a teammate had went out to a place in Raleigh, North Carolina to train in the off season. And they had hit tracks. They had rap soda. They had all of these, all, all of this new stuff that I had no idea what it was. And I went out there and, and did some work and I got better. And that, that's kind of when I started to really buy into the idea of, okay, maybe this stuff can help because obviously like I, I got better using it. So I'm sure other people can as well. And then I, that getting better made me want to learn because I don't always want to have to look up to somebody to tell me how to get better. If I, if I don't have someone around, you know, I, I kind of need to figure it out on my own. And, and that's really why I took it into my own hands to figure this stuff out with the data and with the analytics and all of that. So I, I kind of convinced our college coaches to get one um, for the pitching, at least the hitting. I think they just kind of bought it because it was there and it's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's another tool to use to get better. How'd you end up at UNC Asheville? What attracted you there? So I love the city of Asheville. Asheville's awesome. Uh, my story is a little, little rocky road when it comes to how I ended up there, but I'm glad I did. I was actually committed to another college up until about a week before signing day, my senior fall. And I got a call from the college coach. And funny enough, he, he told me I didn't throw hard enough to pitch at ECU. So he, uh, he said, look, like, I know I gave you scholarship. I know that's not what I told you earlier, but you can come as a freshman if you want. Um, but if you don't perform, you got to go. And I obviously I could I could pretty much tell like this guy doesn't want me to be there. Like he he's kind of he's kind of got his mind made up. So I decided I didn't I didn't I decided not to go there. Um, and UNC Asheville was the only Division One college left with uh, money. So I took the scholarship that they offered with a, with the little that they had left and ended up, ended up loving it. I mean, my four years there were, were absolutely great. My teammates were awesome, made a lot of friends. I'm, I still talk with the coaches pretty regularly. So, uh, so the relationships I made there were, were phenomenal. I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for a better four years. Well, the thing is you, you throw pretty darn hard now, 90, yeah. 95, 96, 97, 98, whatever. So how did you increase your velocity? And is that, has that always been a focus? Yeah. I mean, I've always thrown hard. Um, but I, I, I was uh, going into college out of my, out of my senior year. I was an 88 to 92 mile an hour arm, which is pretty hard for a high schooler. Uh, yeah. But I really started to find velo gains whenever I started to train baseball specific in college. So I found a guy that I still work with and we, we went through we went through some brand new workout exercises I'd, I'd never seen. They were, they're all based on like the U S and the Russian javelin team. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's strictly based on mobility and just, just get strong. Just, and it's, it's what you hear everyone say like, Hey, get big, get mobile and you're going to throw hard, but it's, it, it's a little more complicated than that, but we'll, we'll leave it at that for the zoom call. <laughs> um, and over the course of the four years, I saw a few velo jumps here and there. And then COVID hit senior year. And I was, I was throwing as I was a starter in, in college. In my senior year, I was probably 92, 95, 92, 94, touching the 95 or 96 there. Um, and me and my trainer kind of made a few tweaks to my mechanics going into, going into the draft and, and I was in the middle of a bullpen throwing 93, 94. And we were like, Hey, let's, let's do this. And all of a sudden I was 
my first pitch after that was 97 and it's kind of just been there since. So, um, so to be honest with you, I'm not really sure what to credit it to. It just kind of, it just kind of happened that way. Well, I mean, a lot of guys, when they move into the penalty jumps anyway, you can kind of let it rip a little bit more when you're only going to throw 25 pitches. Yeah. Uh, all right. Your last game in college was against Coppin state on March 7th of 2020 when you left the mountain. Well, whenever they shut your, shut you guys down did you think that you had pitched your last collegiate game um so when i left the mound no but after about a week of us of us talking and and i mean we were practicing but we were kind of being told by our coach like hey like you guys need to prepare to to like not play the rest of the year and and i at first like we didn't really believe him it was like okay like yeah yeah whatever like i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure we're gonna get shut down just kind of being sarcastic and then it happened and and a lot of the seniors we were kind of like oh wow okay <laughs> um it was, it was pretty sad but at the same time um when we found out we were getting our covid year back a lot of a lot of us were were kind of relieved it was like okay we we still have one more year left we can still play our senior year quote unquote um but for me, I kind of, I kind of knew, I kind of knew after my last two starts in college um, that I probably wasn't going to be going back to college for another year. Um, so I, I, I was pretty sad, but I tried not to put on because I didn't want to seem like, like a very arrogant person with my teammates. Yeah. Like, hey, like, yeah, you guys have fun next year, but I'm going to go to play, play pro ball, and you're not, and blah blah blah. You know, that's just not, not how you want to leave a team. So. So fast forward ahead now to to this year, you've gotten to pitch in a few of these wild games that you guys have played. Um, but before we do some of those, I want to ask about the extra inning rule because you've pitched in a bunch of situations like that. Come in and they give you a free runner at second as a nice welcoming present. What do you t- – uh, what's your mindset when you come into a situation like that? And, and you've been, you've had a few really good outings. There was the, the game in Hudson Valley, which we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, what's your general approach with these extra innings and the runner at second? I, I try not to change anything about how I'm throwing. I mean, I'm, when I go into the game and I know there's a man on second, I, I don't, I don't psych myself out too much. I mean, it's, it's usually a tight ball game, like, like Hudson Valley. I mean, it was a, we were tied in the 10th and 11th inning, but um, I, I try to just go out there and just keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, I mean, I'm throwing from the stretch and it's something I've done all year. Like if I get a man on, I'm in the stretch, you know, it just, it's how you pitch. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's, it really doesn't change much for me. Um, I, I love stressful situations. I think I'd pitch better in them. So um, I, I think it's, I, I think it sucks. <laughs> I think the rule is dumb, yeah. but but there's nothing I can do about it. So, and that, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I, I can't change home? it. So. Is it a little different at home where you're at the top of the inning, you know, if the one guy scores, okay, it's not the end of the world. We're going to bat in the bottom of the inning with, and we get the guy at second. But if you're on the road, you guys already played your hand. So, you know, you might be in a situation where, Hey, I can't let that guy score. This game's over. It's a lot different. Or even if, if you're up one, okay, fine. But if it's it might be a tie game and you're on the road, it's kind of now or never. Yeah, it, it's very on the road. I, I will say it's it's more it's more mentally draining. 
Um, yeah. When you've got a, a man on second and you know he cannot score, you are doing everything in your power to to physically get three outs before that guy gets to home. And and in in a tie ball game in that type of situation, it's just it's I got to put everything I got into it. And you go and I you would go you go in the dugout and it, and you sit down and you're just like sigh of relief you get out of it. It's like okay, I, and then I I know like for me my. Yeah, I, I was mentally I was I get mentally drained when we're on the road and we're in that type of situation. That's uh, that's the best way I can put it. So that Hudson Valley game, this game is on August 14th, a couple weeks ago. So that game was especially wild because Tyler uh, McKay throws six perfect innings. Silva throws three no hit innings. So now you come into the 10th inning. It's tied. You don't get the run in the top of the 10th. You have the winning run at second, which is obviously your, the most important thing. But you also have a no hitter, which uh, it had to. You had to at least realize it, right, in the back of your head. <laughs> like you could not. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first guy gets a hit, but for I guess fortunately he hit it hard enough right to the left fielder to keep the guy, uh, the the runner from scoring. So he's at third. But now you got first and third, nobody out. That um, start there in the tenth inning with the no hitter. You come in. What's what's going on there for you uh, in that frame? So after the guy got the hit, I, I mean, I, I, we all knew what was going on. We all knew the perfect game was going on when McKay was in there. So I went in and I, I really didn't think too much about it. I, I like, yeah, you'd love to have a no hitter, but I would rather win with one sure. hit than lose yeah, with no hit. So I'm, I'm doing it. I'm throwing the ball in the zone. I'm, I'm giving them a chance to put it in play. And I'm just, I'm banking on my stuff being better than theirs. And, and uh, Dunham just happened to, he just, just, ha I think it was Dunham. He just happened to get a hold of it on the outside corner. The ball was where I wanted it. I thought he's going to miss and he, you know, hit, hit it right off the cap. But with men on first and third in that situation, it's like, okay, I, I literally can't let them put the ball in play. So I'm trying my best to strike out as, as all three of them, the next three batters. Trying to, I'm trying to strike them out. But, you know, the next guy, I believe, was the ground ball to McCarthy. Uh, no, the, the next guy uh, lined out to first. So now you got one out. That's right. That's first right. and third, yeah. That's right. Infield in, next guy hit about a 117-mile-an-hour ball at DJ that he got his glove to somehow, and uh, and then they got the ground ball to McCarthy. But, um, but yeah, when I, when that ball got hit, I, I got scared. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, sure. I will say, off the bat, I thought that they scored a run. But, I mean, in that situation for me, yeah, it's just – Try not to psych yourself out. That, that's all I'm out there trying to do. Because if I if I start thinking too much, then I might walk a guy, or I might, you know, I might lay one down the middle and then just have just barely get to a sack fly ends the game. So I mean, a wild pitch you lose. Yeah, and a, and and a wild end. pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. So then the the next inning, still no score. First guy grounds out, and then you get the next grounder again to McCarthy, and you get the, the second out at home. So and then uh, the, that was the second out. Then the la then uh, you struck out Volpe, who's a really good player, uh, to win that inning. And then you were pretty pumped up right after that. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was I was a little mouthy at the end of both of those innings. Uh, the first one, not so much. I mean, I had struck out uh, uh, Nelson on the basically the exact same pitch earlier that week, and. He was he was pretty fed up with the umpire. So I, I and I kind of saw that whenever he after he struck out. So I just kind of like 
gave a yell like, yeah, let's go, whatever. But with Volpe in, in the box, he likes to stand with his toes touching home plate. He is on that on the plate. And, I, and that, that made me mad. Like we're, we're in that situation and, and he steps up and I see that it made me mad. So I, after I struck him out, I, I, I gave him a little like back off of my plate kind of thing. And he, he looked at me, but he, from what I've heard about him, he's a really, really nice guy. So <laughs> I didn't really expect him to say much. <laughs> he's from, uh, he's from here too, from New Jersey. So I, that, yeah, I did know he was a Jersey boy. That was your, I didn't even, re- I gotta be honest. I didn't even realize it at the time. That was your first professional win. Yes, it was. And then I had I got to imagine that game was probably the most uh, excited uh, clubhouse that you guys have had after after winning. Oh, yeah. You're certainly we, certainly up there, right? That game that, yes. every, that game was wild. Yeah, we were we were excited going into the clubhouse. I mean, it was we always every time we won a ball game, we always have a certain few songs we play before we just kind of let other people play music, and uh, and it, it was it was pretty exciting in there. I mean, everyone was everyone was pumped up. Yeah, and then you came out. You threw your two. Potter comes in and he threw a one, two, three, twelfth uh, with with three strikeouts there to to end that game. So, and then you were on the mound when Corbin made that catch in left center against Brooklyn on the Sunday afternoon. What were you? What was your reaction uh, as you saw that ball leave the bat and then he goes and runs it down? I I think I gave up two fly balls that inning that one to right field on the warning track and then that one and and yeah when that when the ball came off to go into center I I thought it was gone like he 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 got a hold of it pretty well and Corbin got to it and I was I was ecstatic because that that right there I don't exactly remember the score but I want to think that that would have probably tied the game up in that situation it was a a one-run game yeah and I think there was a man on there was somebody on but I don't remember where they were at first Um, it was on first, but I mean, if that ball drops in left center, I mean, he's on the ground laying there and your left fielder's got to get to it. The guy probably scores. So it was, it was, I was relieved when I saw, whenever I saw the dive and the ball go in the glove, it was. Put it this it way. Very relieving. If I gave up a long fly ball, he would be the one I would want to go chase it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Cor- there's not, there's not much Corbin can't track down out there. Yeah, he can, uh, he can scoot. All right. Let's, um, Tell us about Dallas, North Carolina, population 4,400. So Dallas is a really, really small town. Um, everybody knows everybody. It's, it's what you think of when you think small, southern, just family town. Um, me, I mean, me and my family, we live on the, like the east side of Dallas. And then it's maybe a, downtown's like maybe a, two mile road that you go down and that's our, is it one of these like two stoplight towns yeah yeah i mean i hold on let's see we have one two three yeah we have four four <laughs> all right <laughs> we have four stoplights through through our downtown so you told me before earlier in the year that you had gone to you would go to a bunch of minor league games when you were growing up and you'd been to hickory a bunch of times how many of the had you been to Asheville before you played out there no, where else, I, what never, other, where else I, had you gone? So I've been growing up in that area. I had been to a Greenville drive game. I've been to Greensburg grasshoppers. I went, I went to the crawdads. I mean, I went to Atlanta Braves games, but they're not really, they're not minor league. Um, yep. And 
I think that's it. I think it was just those three minor league affiliates I went to growing up. So there was, there used to be a uh, team in Gastonia. The Phillies were in Gastonia, which was not that far over from Dallas yeah. uh, for a while. And before the, you know, in the, they were, I want to say there, there was a team there in the 60s, 70s and 80s, I think before all these minor league teams started building all these brand new modern stadiums, but you had a lot of towns like, uh, you know, Gastonia that were kind of the Spartanburg, you know, that were the, which is in South Carolina, but the, the epitome of your typical minor league baseball city. Not that, not that long ago before the, before the, uh, before the stadium boom um, down there. So did you go to Asheville when you were in at Asheville? Any tor- sorry. Did you go to tourist yes. games while you were in Asheville? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me and me and a couple of the teammates would would go to a game whenever they would they their season started and we di- didn't have practice one day or we got out of practice early and we were able to make it to the game from the beginning to the end and it it was pretty cool. I like that was kind of the first experience in minor league ball that like I actually understood what was going on because when I went to the Crawdads games, I was younger. I was anywhere between like eight and twelve, and it was like. And when you're a kid at a baseball game and you see a, a hill that's got grass on it, you're going to go run on, run around. Like that's sure. just that's what you do. So going to those games and, and watching those guys play, it, it, it kind of really made me realize that I, I could like, I could be out there kind of thing. Like I, I knew professional baseball was something I wanted to do, but seeing those guys play and, and it just, it just made me want to be out there. I like the stadium was nice. And at Asheville, we never had like a big stadium. We never had big crowds. Like we weren't a very successful baseball program. Uh, so it, it, it was hard to, to really like get into that mindset and understand like what it's like to win. And going to those tourist games, it was, it was just awesome. You, know, seeing, you better keep the ball they, down though. Yes. Yes. We, <laughs> we, we played two or three games there over the course of my college career and and the balls fly. It's, you play it's, games there well with metal, a metal bat too. Yeah, it's crazy how how oh, yeah. balls fly in that in that park. Well, the so they were low A, like the Blue Claws were for many many years, and we've seen a lot of these high A teams this year have, uh, and the parks have allowed a lot more home runs and surrendered a lot more runs in general. But just just looking at home runs, like here. We, we passed the, the home run record for most home runs allowed, or sorry, the stadium's home run record for most home runs hit both teams in the stadium, like halfway through the year. Uh, and it's because you're dealing with older, older players that are a year and a half, two years older on average. They're that much more developed. They're that much stronger. So you're seeding a lot more home runs, which is fine, whatever. But I can only imagine in Asheville because they already gave up a billion home runs and now you're talking about a billion and a half. I mean, it's, it's, it's really crazy, but yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a great park and it's a great city. It's just, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different uh, goals for the, and what goals you have here for the rest of the year, which I realize is only another three and a half weeks. Uh, honestly, for the rest of the year, I'm just going to try to keep doing what I'm doing. Just, just try to keep getting better um, with, with the second half of the season, I pitched a lot better than I did the first half and, that, that's really all I want to do, just end strong. Um, I'm not really too concerned about anything else. I'm not really concerned about getting moved up or, or like, statistics or really any of that. Like, I just, I just want to continue to pitch better. I want to continue to keep up 
not walking people. That that's probably my main goal. I, I'm I'm trying to. Hit, there's a certain innings number that I want to hit with a certain amount of walks in that inning, especially with where I'm at now. And um, and if I can just prevent the walks, I'll be happy with the rest of my season. Oh, if you keep them off base, the rest of it will take care of itself. Yes. Yeah. Like I appreciate a few minutes kept you longer than I said, but you were awesome. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. We taped this on. Friday morning, so you pitch two innings on uh, Tuesday. Might be up and Adam in there tonight in Wilmington as the Blue Claws go for a fourth straight win. Blake, thanks so much. Appreciate it, and we will uh, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Blake for joining us here on Episode 20 of Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast, which is presented by NJR Home Services, bringing you simple solar savings so you can enjoy the sunshine both at home and at the ballpark. Blue Claws will be back home on Tuesday the 7th. As we said, they'll play seven games in six days in Aberdeen. First finishing game suspended here on August the 8th. That was that Sunday afternoon, that nasty Sunday. Sir Anthony Dominguez started. Tyler McKay came in. Uh, Game was called no score in the third, though Aberdeen batting. They have a few guys that they have first and third when uh, they resumed that on Tuesday night. But Blake, seven saves. He leads the Blue Claws, as we said, pitching extremely well, really since the beginning of June. His ERA is 257, 38 strikeouts in his last 28 innings for Jersey Shore. Blue Claws have six home games left September 7th through the 12th. They'll play Greensboro. The Grasshoppers will be at First Energy Park for those games, and that'll be the only visit and the only six meetings between these two teams here in 2000. And 21, remember these guys have played, you know, anywhere between 16 and 25 games per year uh, against each other over the last number of uh, seasons. So we're to only play them six times this year. On the Greensboro roster is Henry Davis, 21-year-old catcher out of the University of Louisville, who was taken number one overall by the Pirates in the draft this past year, though this year, 2021. Now, He is on the injured list. He hasn't played in over a week. August 22nd was his last game, so I don't know uh, if if he'll be back by next weekend, but hopefully he will. Uh, He has played with Greensboro six games going uh, five for 19 with three home runs already. So that would be cool to see him uh, at First Energy Park. Remember Adley Rutschman, who was the number one overall pick catcher for the Orioles, drafted out of Oregon State in 2019. He was here. Uh, in 2019 with Delmarva at the end of that season. So uh, maybe Davis will be here. I, I, I don't know, but uh, he is on the roster right now for Greensboro. Remember, they're a Pittsburgh Pirate affiliate. I think they're in their second season with the Pirates after they had been with the Marlins for many years, I think through 2018. And then in 2019, they were with Pittsburgh. And obviously still with Pittsburgh as they move up from low A to high A uh, this year. So... Look forward to that uh, September 7th through 12th. Four fireworks shows in the six-game series Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It was supposed to be just two, but then we had to add a couple in. One was uh, added on September the 7th, the Tuesday game, and then another one was added after a rainout here at First Energy Park a couple of weeks back on August the 21st, that Saturday night game where we played four minutes. That, uh, that could be its own podcast episode 
to be perfectly honest with you. So uh, that'll do it for us here today. Episode 20 of Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to Blake Brown for joining us. We'll be back. We have another episode coming out in a couple of days. A very special guest, a former Blue Claws, so I'll tell you for now. Back with more uh, later this week, and we'll see you at First Energy Park next Tuesday night for the final six of 2021. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to Hook, Line, and Splitter, presented by NJR Home Services, bringing you the simple solar savings so you can enjoy the sunshine at home and at the ballpark. Good night, everybody. See you next week.